0: Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word, so grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Well, today... We are in Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14, we get to um, some really easy light topics. Um, today, we're just talking about war and money. Um, so like nothing controversial at all or anything that that uh, people get bent out of shape over, right? Um, this is one of the one of the problems I hear that people have with the Bible is like, well, it's got all of the war in there. It's got all of the fighting, the killing. Like, that. I, I just, I don't, I can't believe in a God who sanctions that or, or that kind of thing. Or that's my problem with the Bible, right? Um, and I even know, I know in this room, we have some of us and we have some of us in our church who are hardcore pacifists. They're like, we, you know, you, you, you think it's all, war's always wrong. Um, and, uh, and I highly respect that view. Um, I think that that view um really can can track with jesus 's first coming and the way that he showed us how to live um, and uh and as a follower of Jesus, how you can feel called to like this is how I should approach things um personally I'm, i 'm i don 't hold to that view uh because um of the reality i see in the world, the reality i see in history, the uh, history i see in scripture, history i see after scripture was completed of uh, what's continued on, of uh, the fact that we live in an evil world, um and in an evil world you're going to have evil people who do evil things and the way for them to be stopped is for righteous people to stop them. And i think sometimes that takes physical force, that takes fighting back. Um uh, for instance, there's wars in our world today that you are all aware of, um, and what do you do? Do you just sit here and let them bomb your house and take you over, or do you fight back? You know, at some point, uh, the reality sets in, right? And and even scripture, I believe, speaks to that um, in the New Testament. Even it talks about how God has put the governments in place to take care of these things, that God works through those things, that he works through those governments to, um, to fight for, for justice and righteousness and, and what he wants in the world, right? And so, um, so I'll just tell you up front, um, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. Um, But that's where I'm coming from um, as I approach these parts of Scripture. And I think that's part of what we're going to see in kind of one of these. This is one of the first kind of war battles we see in Scripture is here in Genesis 14. And so I I think we can start to see this here. So let's jump into it and see what it says. In Genesis 14, starting verse 1. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elisar, Chetalermaer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goem. So we can't say their names because they all die in the end. So, um, spoiler alert. These kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Abma, Shimabar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is, the salt sea. Twelve years they had served Chettlelarmo, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Chettlelarmor and the kings who were with him came and defeated the rephraim. in Astrath Kerim, the Zuzum in Ham, the inim in Shevakith, and the Horites in their hill country of Ser as far as El Paran in the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to In Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Melechites, and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazar and Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zebuim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Chedorlaomer, king of Elam. Title: king of Goam, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidom was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Remember last week, Abram and Lot split ways, and Lot said, I want to go where it looks good over here. This looks great. He ends up in the middle of this, and he gets, gets captured here. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Escol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. These kings are all fighting with each other, all going to war, and the one group conquers the other group. Abram's nephew, Lot, is hauled off. He and his family, they're they're taken as captives from all of this. Now, you're laughing at, with me as I was butchering these names and places and everything, um, but I will tell you that our archaeologists have found, like, these bitumen pits that are mentioned. So, like, this is historically accurate this is a place and and so when scripture talks about all these things even though we don't still call these places these names and you know we don't know the oaks of Mamre and all of this like we don't the tree's not still there um but this is all factual this is all historical this is something that happened and so um abram's nephew lot is captured so what does he do he goes to help but i noticed something else that really stood out to me as i was reading this account Who did he take with him? His trained men. He had 318 of them. You see, Abram knew he lived in an evil, wicked area. He knew stuff like this happens. And so he had his men trained. They were trained to fight. They were prepared for this. We don't see Abram ever going out on conquest trying to conquer others, but we see him being ready for it if it comes his way, right? And you'd have to think a little bit as, as we read this story that in Abram's mind, there would have to be just this hint of, well, God has promised me all of this land. How did you get land and territory in that time? You fight and you win and you conquer it, Right? He, in this story, he just beat everybody. These guys beat these guys, and then he beat these guys. So you'd have to have that thought of, well, maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the moment where all of it's mine, right? Maybe this is the moment where God's just given me all the land by conquering everybody right here with just my 318 guys. But as we read this story, that doesn't seem to be Abram's thought at all. And we're going to get to that uh, more in a minute. But first, I just want us to see that when living in a sin-filled world, we should be prepared to confront sin and its effects. We shouldn't be surprised when these things happen, right? Like, we don't see Abram here that he gets report that Lot is, has been taken, and he's like, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? You know, well, let me call somebody. or No, he's like, okay, I know what to do. Hey guys, we're going. And they track him down, it seems like almost immediately. And win, win the battle and rescue his, ne- his nephew, right? So how does that apply in, in our world today? You know, do we all need to be taking hand-to-hand combat courses? Um, you know, is, is that what we need? No, probably, maybe, I don't know. Um, Warren's going to be teaching some after, cl- after, after church today. Um, so uh, I'll tell you this. I have locks on my house. I make sure they're locked every night. I don't know about you. That's, if it, if it weren't for a sin-filled world, would I need those? No, because what would be the problem? But because we live in a sin-filled world, yeah, we lock our houses. We, we protect our families. We do what we can to secure those things. This is why we pay for Different insurances and those kind of things. This is why we expect our, our society to function with, um, with rules and laws and order. And for our police to enforce those rules and laws and order, right? Is because we, we value that. We want to live in a safe society. And we want to have things to curtail these kind of effects. I was talking with, with somebody this week. They were telling me one time they, they lived in a different part of the world um, and their house got broken into so much that it got to be where their mom would just say, okay, it's, it's Saturday afternoon. Anything you value, just bring with you and we're going to leave the house because it's safer because um, we know they're coming. Um, you know, and that's that can be a reality um, in the kind of world that sin affects and when sin d- does these things. And so when we live in this kind of world, we should be prepared to confront sin. We should be prepared... Um, not just sitting back and like, oh, woe is me when it happens, but be ready for it. Be prepared. Um, I know um, some of you have really um, got into uh, prepping uh, for the effects of sin in our world, right? And I know a lot of us are probably concerned about the effects of inflation and the way economies are going and things like that. And, um, and I just want to encourage you, yes, it is wise to be prepared, But don't be driven by fear. Do you get what I'm saying? It's okay to be prepared. It's okay to take preparations for what you think might be coming or what what might be coming your way. But don't let fear drive you. Because if you know Jesus, he owns it all. He's in control over it all. And he's got it all taken care of. And so, so, yes, bad things will still happen. But he's got it under control. And so we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry, we don't have to fret over those things. And so, the next thing we see there is that, that Abram, he, he was successful. So he was prepared, and then he was successful. He went in, and he got a lot back. And this is what I'm saying, like, yeah, you'd have to think that little bit of thought is there, of like, whoa, it's all mine now. They conquered those guys, they got all their loot, I conquered them, I got all the loot from both of them, like... I have arrived. This is how God has provided for me. This is how God is fulfilling his promise. But that's not where Abram goes, not in the least. Let's read on. After his return from the defeat of Charnamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to, to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Abram here, his first response after returning from all of this, there's there's this guy that comes out, right? Right? So all of a sudden, there's this other Melchizedek, king of Salem. Um, most likely, Salem was in the same spot where Jerusalem is, so if that helps you out. Um, but Melchizedek, the king of Salem, comes out, and he's this priest-king. And now, I don't know about you, but after all of this fighting that just happened, my kind of response would be, hey, king, where were you? Right? Like, what have you been doing, buddy? But no, this king of Salem, this priest king comes out. He offers a blessing over Abram. And Abram returns, says, I'm giving you a tenth of everything. I'm giving you a tenth of everything. As if he's giving it to the Lord. And this is, this is the place in scripture where, where we first see kind of the idea of a tithe coming up. We just use that word to talk about giving to our church. But, um, but tithe literally means a tenth. Um, and this is the first place we see that happen, uh, is here with Abram, where, where he gives a tenth, he gives a tithe um, here to Melchizedek. And this is always a question for Christians today, it's like, well, do we follow the tithe, or, or what, is, what does God want for us? And, um, and yeah, so let's, let's just talk about what, what Scripture says, okay? Um, so through the Old Testament, the tithe is kind of a common system. Uh, you know, in Leviticus, it's repeated that, like, hey, here's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to give a tithe of your stuff uh, to the Lord. Out of that, um, the Levites and the priests, those who are responsible for the, the spiritual uh, leading of, of the country, uh, that's how they live, um, is out of that tithe. And so you give it to the Lord, and then that's used to fund those who are doing his work uh, within the kingdom. Okay, um, So we, we see that uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament, even in, in Malachi, at the very end of the Old Testament. It, it talks about um, you're holding back your tithes, and in doing so, you're robbing God, um, and because of that, you're cursed. Um, and so we kind of see this, this system all the way through the Old Testament. But now we get to the New Testament, and... There's only a couple places that we see the tithe. We'll look at one of them in just a minute as we're looking at Melchizedek a little bit more. Um, but as we're, we're going through the New Testament, we have, like, there's one place where Jesus mentions the tithe, but the context is he is bashing the, the Pharisees and the scribes. So he's saying, hey, you're so faithful, you even give a tithe of, of your uh, herbs, you, you tithe on your herbs. But yet, you're not seeking after righteousness. You're not seeking after justice. You're not seeking after the things that God really cares about. Um, so it's kind of like he's saying, hey, keep your tenth of your plants and uh, and actually care about what's right. Actually do what's right. Um, so That doesn't really tell me that Jesus is saying, like, yeah, we really need to tithe, you know. So um, I don't think that's a, the point he's making there. Um, and then in, in Hebrews, as it talks about Melchizedek some more, it mainly talks about tithe just in the historical sense of what the Old Testament um, system was. So as New Testament Christians, that leaves us with the question of like, well, should we tithe? Um, should we give? What what does Scripture say about that? Um, I've gotten a, a little ahead of myself here, um, but... Uh, but yeah, let's um, let's see. Yeah, let's go to Hebrews um, six and let's let's look at more about Melchizedek, um, and that will help us to answer that question about tithing for ourselves. Okay, uh, so in Hebrews uh, six, um, see, in in this passage, Melchizedek kind of just seems like this one-off person in the story, right? He kind of just shows up, offers a blessing, gets a tithe, and then he's gone, and we don't hear any more about him. Um, But then in Psalms, David picks up uh, the the theme with Melchizedek and starts pointing to the one who's going to come after him, the one who's going to fill his throne, and pointing to him as as a a priest-king in the order of Melchizedek. And then the author of Hebrews picks that up again uh, to help us understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, And so in Hebrews uh, chapter 6, it says this, I'll start in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I think somebody else is reading it in another language. (laughs) When Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, So here you're saying Jesus has gone into heaven, he's gone into the the inner throne, and he's a high priest for us after the order of Melchizedek. So what does that mean? Why would he have to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek? Well, think back to your Jewish system, okay? So the line of David was out of what tribe? Lion of the tribe of Judah, there you got it, okay? So Jesus came in his birth lineage out of the line in the tribe of Judah. Well, who were the priests? What line were they out of? Levi. Levi. So how could someone be both king and priest? How could he fulfill both of them? To do that, Scripture goes back and says, hey, before that system, there was this king-priest, Melchizedek, and that's the same way it is with Jesus. And so that's what, what the, the author of Hebrews is getting at here. Chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither day, beginning of days or end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues as a priest forever. so what he's saying here is, hey, we don't know anything about Melchizedek. We don't know about his lineage or any of this. He just showed up in the story, and boom, there he was. It's the same way with Jesus. Jesus just shows up, and that's who he is, and, and he's, he's worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise, and he's able to be our high priest because of that. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. It is beyond dispute that the inferior has been blessed by the superior. In one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, that can get confusing. But uh, we're not going to get into tithing from the womb um, or from the loins. Um, But, so... uh, but yeah, what he's, he's pointing to here, and what we're seeing is, is the central part of who Jesus is. Jesus is the priest king for believers for all of eternity. And the author of Hebrews is using this story from the Old Testament and using this story of Melchizedek to point us to how this is even possible. That yes, Jesus fulfills all of it. He is the priest king. He is the one before whom we bow, before whom we serve, before whom we worship. And when that is the case, then I want to ask you how should we respond to him? Abraham is, or at this point, Abram is, is met by Melchizedek and he receives a blessing. And his response in that setting is here's a tenth of everything. And he gives it to him. How much better do we have it than Abram? We don't just meet this guy on the street on our way home and and he gives us a little blessing. No, we have the Son of God who has come to redeem us, to lay down his life for us, to purchase our rescue, to restore us to God the Father. To give us his Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us and comfort us, to walk with us day by day. How much better is that than just a blessing on the way home? And Abram's response is, hey, here's a 10%, 10%, here's a tithe. So what's our response? How does it compare? Do, do we say, well, I don't know, 10% is pretty high. Or do we say, really? All that I have is yours. Every, everything that I have comes from You. Everything I have is a blessing from your hand. And so how do you want me to use it, Lord? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to share? How do you want me to use all of the, not just money, but stuff that you've blessed me with? Because I know it comes from your hand. And I know the love and the goodness of Jesus. And so, so my response to that is, is yes, Lord, what, what do you want? How do you want me to use this? And this brings us into kind of our views of like money and and stuff in general, right? It's it's really not about like how much is mine and how much is the Lord's, right? That's the way we can kind of think of it. But it should really be about how do I use and how do I, I, I steward and take care of what the Lord has entrusted to me? How do, I, how do I take care of these things? How do, I, how do I treat these things? Because ultimately, it comes from him. And this is something that Abram definitely got as well. At this point in his life, we've already seen Abram. He's really being blessed by the Lord. His, his earthly possessions and all are growing and all of that. And he comes back from this battle, which I was saying, I'd be thinking, man, God, you really just racked up my household with this one. And he comes back, and then this is what happens, and here's his response. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. He's saying, hey, give me my people back, but you can keep all the spoils. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. So let Aner and Eskel and Mamre take their share. So Abram comes back and he, he's offered. He's like, hey, the, the king of Sodom, who's th- thankful that you know, you'd have to assume this is his re- relatives, this is his family that's, that's just been rescued along with Lot. And he's saying, hey, you can you can keep the stuff, but just give me the people back. And Abram goes, no, I don't want any of it. Why? Because I think Abram knew how wicked, wicked Sodom was. I think he knew how immoral that place was. In fact, we know that he knew that because pretty soon when God comes to judge them, he's begging just for that God would rescue them just if there's... It gets down to, I think it's just 10 people. It's like, there's just 10 righteous people, God. Don't destroy them. But that's coming. We'll get to that soon. But Abram already knows these are wicked people. And he doesn't want to say, hey, don't." he doesn't want anybody able to say, hey, Abram got all of his wealth. He got everything that he has from wickedness. He wants it to be known that everything he has came from the hand of the Lord. And that's the way that, that he views what he has and what's, what's been given to him and so I want to ask you how do you view all that you have I loved Ken's prayer when he's praying over our offering just thanking the Lord for God you've blessed us so well so much it's a gift from his hand right and so, so how, how, do we, how do we how do we view that and how does the, our view of that affect how we use it is what I'm saying And Paul picked up on this theme. And so while the New Testament doesn't dictate and tell us that like, hey, you have to give a tithe or you have to give 10%, it does talk a lot about giving and it talks a lot about money. Um, And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, what do I want for you as a church? I want you to give as you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly not under compulsion, the way that you can do it as a cheerful giver. Because let me tell you, there is a lot of joy to be found in giving, in giving away, giving to support the Lord, support the Lord's work, support mission, support his work around the world. There's so much joy to be found and so much cheer to be found in being a giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And so we see here what Paul is saying is, yeah, we should sign our hearts to the Lord, this is what we want to give. And we should do so cheerfully. And when we're doing that, what we're saying is, God, I trust you. I trust you. I know that you can meet my needs. You can meet my needs of what I need financially or what my family needs or what my kids need. I trust you. I believe you can, you've got this. And so because I trust you, yeah, I'm going to give. I'm going to be a good steward of what you've given me, and I'm going to give to others in turn. Um, because what's, what's going along with this is really a much deeper issue than just the numbers. Because we look at this and we say, well, do the numbers work, right? Well, we've got this much we could give or, or whatever, and we, we're very, we can be very logical on these things. But what's really at stake is much deeper. Jesus says this in Matthew 6 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And see, that's the real issue. That's the real issue that the New Testament hits on over and over and over again. Is is the way that money and the love of money can steal our hearts away from the Lord. Can pull us away from where God wants us to be. And Abram in this situation is showing us the proper response. The heart that has a love for money would say, wow, look at this bounty. You know, it was well worth training those guys. Got all this stuff now. But Abram's heart says, no, I love the Lord and I don't care about this. He's got me. He's providing for me. He's taking care of me. So I'm not focused on that. I'm storing up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. I'm not worried about just gathering as much as I can. I'm worried about focusing on him. And so I want to ask you, where is your heart at? And a good way to tell where your heart is at and what matters to you is to look at your bank statement. What does your bank statement say about where your heart is at? Right? And and so we see this is a real hard issue in Scripture. And so for the Christian, we should see all that we have as belonging to the Lord, and we should give generously and joyfully out of it. This is what the New Testament teaches. So does that mean 10%? Maybe. Does that mean more? Maybe. Does that mean Less, maybe, I want you to decide in your heart what you want to do with the Lord and do it and be able to do it willingly and not begrudgingly. And you say, well, Wayne, why, why are you hitting on all of this? You know, why, why are we really focusing this much on money? I don't like hearing about money. You're getting in my business Well, our goal here and our mission is to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. And scripture speaks a lot to this issue because it is a heart issue. And so I do a disservice to you as a pastor if I do not also speak to this issue and speak to your heart on this issue just like any other issue. So that's where I'm coming from and sharing this with you. And just like I tell you guys all the time, if you're getting hit with it, I got hit with it on Saturday, okay? All right? So I texted Brittany as I was writing the sermon yesterday. Well, I just sent her tithe in. Um, so, uh, you know, and so, so yeah, if you're getting hit with it, I've already been there. So welcome, welcome to the bus. But let's look at another passage of what Jesus says. In Matthew 6. Starting in verse 1. This is another factor we need to take into account when it comes to this, to this subject. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. As we talk about giving, I'm not just saying give to the church. Yes, for Christians, that's kind of our, one of our first places we should go, is give to our, our local body, our local church, um, to, to help support the kingdom in, in our place and what we're doing here. But we're also talking about beyond that. I know many of you support other missionaries and missions and other things uh, through your giving, and I, I applaud that. That's awesome. Um, but we don't give out of wanting to, to receive the recognition here and now. Uh, when I was a, a youth pastor, we had uh, a young man in our church who um, he, his mom was a widow, um, and she was raising him and his sister and they were not well off financially by any means. They were, for lack of a better word, they were poor. And at different times, uh, our our church and people in our church would give to help him out and uh, try to try to better his situation, meet his needs, that kind of thing. And he was always very thankful and very grateful for that. Uh, but I remember one time uh, there was a guy in our church that had given him a car um, so that he could go to work and, and be able to to have a job and that kind of thing, and such a great blessing, um, but he came to me and he was very upset um, i said why why are you upset? He said, Why is it that every time he does something for me, everybody knows about it and so here as as the recipient of a great blessing in in the in the flip side, he actually had been kind of Felt like he'd been stabbed in the back a little bit. Kind of been made fun of a little bit. Kind of seen as the charity case a little bit. And so it's really sad because that, that guy who was a very giving guy, a very nice guy. I mean, to give somebody a car like that's wow. That's awesome, right? And he could have had such great reward in heaven. But according to what this verse says, he's already received his reward because he told all his friends, Hey, look what I'm doing. Look how generous I am. And that can be the temptation for us, is is even in giving, our heart can be in the wrong place. And that's really the root issue, is where is your heart in these things? And how do you you care about these things? I'm going to close today with uh, just giving us a couple of points. This is from a book, it's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Um, it's a whole little book that he wrote on this, this idea of where, where your heart, where your treasure is there, your heart is also. And he boils it down into to these six principles that I just want to give to you today. And hopefully, he's, he's a little more extreme than I am, so um, yeah, he challenges me for sure. Simple read, I think I read it like an hour yesterday, it's pretty simple, but here, here are the six points he gives us. Number one, God owns everything, I am his money manager. Number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. Number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. That changes how you treat things here when you have that perspective, right? With that, he says, I should not live for the dot, but for the line. What does he mean by that? He means draw, draw on a piece of paper, draw a dot, and then draw a line with an arrow at the end of it. The dot is this life. The line with the arrow is eternity. Live for the arrow, not for the dot. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. And then finally, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, Father, I thank you for the ways that you have blessed us. We're such a blessed people. I thank you that you have blessed me as a pastor, being in a church that is a very giving church, a people who are, are very faithful to give and to, to support. And, and especially when we, we have somebody in the church that's in need, I, I love seeing our church just rally around them and meet those needs. And I just think that brings glory and honor to your name. Glory and honor to your kingdom and what you're doing in this world. You are so good, God. Lord, I pray that you will meet each of us where we are and help us make decisions in our heart relating to our finances. Help us to know how you want us to give, how you want us to manage the resources and the things that you have entrusted to us. And so, God, I, I just ask you to be with us and guide us in this area of our life, and help us to be a follower of you in this area of our life, to be shaped by you in this area of our life. I pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day.